beautiful life. Katie is drama. That's I'm what we... so drama. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but you know what's not dramatic is this weather. Um, truly. Well, actually, it was dramatic last week. I did. Oh. All right. So I was going to say it's truly been pleasant. It's been so nice, but we had two days of where cold, cold. it got to like 30 or 20 degrees at night or something. It was Accurate. crazy. My herbs froze. I was devastated. And then Your, I was like, uh, herbs. exactly. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just turn the heat on. And then I realized that we're out of oil. So then there's no heat. And there was literally one day where I just sat on my bedroom floor next to my space heater because that was so cool. Sometimes it's what you have to do. Sometimes what you have to do. Listen, but we're in old, cold homes in Baltimore old, with no cold, actual heat cold. and no actual air conditioning. Exactly. Which is fine. I like it. It's totally fine. <laughs> we have a new patron. We do. Uh, it's my sister. Oh, welcome. Uh, so I have two out of my three siblings. What the fuck are your siblings doing? Nothing good. Um, Nothing good. I mean, it's like producers like single-handedly like paying for this podcast. True. <laughs> Yeah, he's really bankrolling this whole thing. It's <laughs> like, this is all your rosemary, but now it's frozen. Um, okay, but we're not here to talk about her herbs. No, we're here to talk about herstory. On the rocks. With Katie. And Ellie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind... We're drinking the entire time, and we may have already started tonight. <laughs> With a bourbon cocktail. Which is always bad news in this house. I've already had a beer and a bourbon cocktail, and I'm about to have another cocktail and possibly another beer. Wow. Just for part one. Um, because you know what? It is the season nine opener. <laughs> <laughs> the premiere. It is the, it is the debut of these incredible women. So Katie and I been watching the news, been watching the sad, been like real <laughs> pissed at everybody. And we were like, you know what? We're going to do a whole season of women of color. So exactly. don't tune in for any white women. Cause they won't be here except for <laughs> me for and Katie. 15 weeks. <laughs> 15 weeks of not white people. God, we're doing such a service to humanity. We're such assholes. Um, so let's get ready with the Queens of tonight. Uh, because in one corner we have <laughs> you put that up <laughs> oh my god they're gonna fight they're gonna, i hope not they're gonna fight each other <laughs> yours would win i think uh but maybe not we'll see we'll see what people think at the end okay um but everybody's busy they're so busy spring cleaning time it really is and your fans <laughs> blades have to be cleaned that grease on the forget. top of your cabinets you know from like everything like all the grease <laughs> yep but uh please everyone look up um if you're like trying to be green and make your own cleaning products because i've heard that a lot of people are like i'm gonna make my own cleaning products and they've been mi mixing bleach with dangerous things no so um everybody be that. careful <laughs> that's a terrible idea i know so but you're busy because you're cleaning and also trying to make sure that you're not making poison whistle while you work exactly um so you can't look at your phone you have the big rubber gloves on they don't work on the iphone or the android so we nobody need, cares about android nobody cares about those <laughs> get uh, rid of your so throw it in the trash we need to describe what they look like so you can get a picture in your head while we're yep. telling their stories for sure we are going to get a little physical physical Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like i want you to understand <laughs> that i'm doing sally hemmings <laughs> big deal 
She is only known from like a very small descriptions that we have in primary sources. So one says, quote, she was mighty near white, very handsome with long straight hair down her back. And another quote from someone else said she was light colored and decidedly good looking. Okay. So Sally was one fourth black or African and three fourths European. She only had one black grandparent of the four she probably looked a bit like thomas jefferson's wife because sally was her half-sister oh things are gonna get wild okay um there's this popular drawing of her that's typically used but i heard one historian talking about her and she said i see this image and i would love to know what she looks like but i won't and that's sadness not just for me but for all descendants of enslaved families mm, so true so that is sally's physical okay. no idea <laughs> same was, for me she was handsome same <laughs> for me no i feel like that bust of nephrotic <laughs> Nefra, Nefertiti. Nefertiti is yes. like, super I mean, it's iconic. Popular. It's iconic. It, <laughs> so, it's as drama as you are. <laughs> exactly. Um, so because Nefertiti is about 3,200 years old, we don't know exactly what she looked like, but she is a woman who was known throughout Egypt for her beauty. Her name even means a beautiful woman has come. In the most famous image of her, <laughs> the Nefertiti bust, she has large eyes, full lips, a long, thin neck, and she is wearing this giant, large, blue royal headdress, but her left eye is mysteriously missing, which we will get into. Um, it was Mad-Eye Moody's. Eggs, probably. <laughs> but yeah, but that's really all we know is this bust, and like they did like a 3D rendering of like the mummy that we think is her, and it looks pretty similar to the bust, but like obviously like a little different, so mm. if you want to see that, um, go check out that clip on the Today Show. Stop spring cleaning yeah. and check it out. Uh, so can you tell me what I'm drinking? Because it's yes. pink. My my drink is pink tonight oh too. Oh my gosh! Start double the season off strong. Double bonus pink. Um, so this is called Fit for a Pharaoh. So it is an ounce and a half of spiced rum, an ounce and a half of concentrated hibiscus tea. Stop it! I know. I looked up like Egyptian drinks, and a, like a hibiscus tea is very common there. Um, and then it's an ounce of ginger liqueur, and a tablespoon of coconut cream and just like a spritz of lemon juice. Um, so I'm going to give it just like a little bit of so a wait, stir. Because it does, it subtle. separates, right? It separates if you let it sit too long because so of the cream. You so got to froth it. Yeah, because that's why the lemon <laughs> wheel is there. So cheers. cheers. Mm. Really good. Really good. Wow. Um, I mean, cream of coconut drinks never disappoint this Let's drink is non-stop <laughs> it's so trauma <laughs> uh i really love it it is truly the greatest drink i've had this mm. evening and i'm on four so mm. i mean it's pink it's frothy it's creamy got a little kick of ginger in there it is good it's, news it's just delightful um, so if you are interested in making a tea concentrate, I just got passion tea from So Tazo. you made it, right? Yeah, yeah. I could tell um, it was in your jar. Yeah. <laughs> One of my many glass jars. Have so many jars. Um, so, yeah. So I just did like more basically jars like than a, of clay. I, true, <laughs> true. Um, so basically I just put um, like a cup and a half of water in like a 
pot. <laughs> Why can't I talk? A and saucepan? I, I steeped like a ton of passion tea bags in it. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it just gets really concentrated and delicious. What do you know about Nefertiti? Okay. So I've seen the bust. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she's like... Ugh. Egypt has such a long timeline Mm -hmm. that I just can't understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe she was married to a pharaoh. So she's also called pharaoh, but she's the queen pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Um, I know she was supposed to be really, really pretty. Mm -hmm. But I I mean, I don't know anything. I know we don't know if we found her mummy, but then we think we found her mummy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's all I know. All right. Perfect. Well, let's get into it. Um, so again, because the story is like thousands of years old and involves a lot of contentious archaeology and backwards time, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> so you said she's 3,200 years old. Is yes. that what you said? So yes. it's like the, we're at 2021. So we go back to year one. So she's like a thousand years before that. She's in the 1300s. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Sure. Yeah. Yes. We just did it. We just did the math. Geniuses. Um, so our best guess on when Nefertiti was born is around 1370 BC. We don't know who her parents were, but there are some theories. The most commonly accepted one is that she was the daughter of a top Egyptian advisor named I, who would later become Pharaoh. So he's very high ranking. So this is a very noble family. And this is believable because... Amenhotep III, who is the pharaoh when she is born, broke tradition by marrying a wealthy noble woman. I'm not- sorry, Prince Harry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Amenhotep III married Meghan Markle. You heard it here first. Mm. Um, but he married a not he didn't marry a royal woman, which maybe his son followed in his footsteps. And it also kind of makes sense because if she were the daughter of I, they would have grown up together. And as we'll see, they're very much in love. So all kind of pointing towards like that's the true theory. Um, Some people believe that she may have been the sister or cousin of her husband, Amenhotep IV, because that was a very common practice for many rural families. But in all of her titles and names and labels, she never used the title that went along with Daughters of the Pharaoh. She's never once refer to as that okay um and so we don't think that that's true but some people do another theory says that she was a foreign princess from mitanni which is around modern day syria named Thadukipa. this is another one that people feel tracks because the name nefertiti means the beautiful woman has come so it's like where did she come from um and <laughs> down the block exactly <laughs> and it, this one like some people also feel like makes sense because there's no real record of her early life so People are like, oh, well, that's probably why, because Egyptians kept pretty detailed records of the royal family. Okay, so it's like some people are like, she's the daughter of this high-ranking official, and uh-huh. some people are like, she's like a royal from like Syria. She's a princess. She's and from some, Syria. And some okay. people think she's from Syria. Um, and then there's people who believe she was an alien from outer space. But as we have said before, claiming that ancient Egyptians had to be aliens in order to do the incredible things that they did is racist and bullshit. And I will have nothing to do with it. Um, yeah, that show Ancient Aliens I drives me fucking it. bonkers. That show? It's like these ancient Mexicans could have never. And it's like, what? Well, they did. So I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. There's one about George Washington at Valley Forge. And he, like, walked into the woods and got, like, advice from someone and came back. Most likely Native Americans. And they're like, they're these green people. <laughs> what the 
the hell are you talking about? He exactly. Was, it's like every like Americans. indigenous people. They're like <laughs> probably aliens. <laughs> it's like come on, the fuck up. <laughs> to be true, to be yeah. true, really, all of the white people are the um, illegal aliens. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> the colonizers. All right. Exactly. Okay. Sorry, Nefertiti. Um. But what we do know about her is that when she was probably on 14 years old, she married Amenhotep IV, who Egyptologists actually believe that he was the same age as her. So that's nice. You know, child bride and child groom. Um, <laughs> not quite as creepy as it normally is. Not quite um, <laughs> child groom bride. Yeah. Um, and so Amenhotep IV is interesting because he was actually the second son to Amenhotep III, but his older brother died, making him next in line. So he, it's again a Prince Harry situation. My God. Where like he wasn't, well, I guess, yeah, he's, I know what you, well, you know what I'm saying. It's a Queen Elizabeth's dad That's situation. Yeah, 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 Where like yeah, he yeah. wasn't supposed to be king. And so, he was. But he was. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, is Amenhotep <laughs> the person from the mummy? I with Brendan Fraser. No, <laughs> no, that's totally that made movie up. has probably too many snakes. I don't even know if it has snakes, but no, I it, feel it like it has too beetles, many. Sca- scarabs. Oh, okay, beetles aren't too bad for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, not snakes. Um, but yeah, I can't do snakes. I love that movie. Um, with a passion. So... Except for there's one point where she looks in the mirror and there's someone behind her shoulder, <gasps> and that's a I horror hate of mine. That. So I just I don't look it, in I mirrors. Hate it, I hate it. <laughs> Um, so in 19, 1953, 1353 BC, <laughs> that's way off. Elvis ascended the throne. Um, so Amenhotep the Fourth the <laughs> ascends the throne with his new queen, Nefertiti, during one of this dynasty ran from around 15, like 49, 1550 to 1292 BC. And this dynasty is also known as the Thutmoset dynasty for the four pharaohs named Thutmose. And most of Egypt's famous pharaohs came from this time period, including Tutankhamun. So this dynasty. Also famous mummy. Very famous mummy. Real young, broken legs, that mm-hmm. one. Got it. This dynasty um, also brought just unspeakable wealth to Egypt and particularly to the royal families. And it also brought like a more equal society for women. They could own money and property. They could legally live alone and bring legal action against other people in court. This isn't the same time period as when they were doctors. I couldn't figure, I didn't know if that was before or after. Um, I think it that was, was Merit Patah, And then there's someone else. It sounds like it's after. I don't yeah. know. That Egypt is so confusing. It's so confusing. Um, so anyways, <laughs> But during Nefertiti and Amenhotep IV's reign, things went, of course, just a little bit. Mm. So one of the first things you need to know about this power couple is that they ruled together. And they made quite a show of it. Some archaeologists even refer to them as inseparable. And it is believed that they really did love each other. We have a ton of images of them kissing, which was not common. And like, just like touching and like being very close. And he would refer to her as sweet of love. And he just thought of her as like truly equal to him. And people really had to paint that shit. They had, I mean, that was they under chisel order. It. So this wasn't like even their perception. Like this was like, you're going to paint us in love because I love <laughs> this bitch. They are so. like, make, they're like <laughs> making Instagram posts on each other's birthdays. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, like, wow. What is it? TMI. Yeah, like, and it's the one picture of them kissing that they post every year. And you're like, <laughs> you know, you kissed one time. Wow. <laughs> We're so grateful for that. <laughs> 
<laughs> so the two had six daughters together. Uh, Mara Totten, Mecca Totten, Akinsapatotten. Stop now. <laughs> Neferawatten, Asherit, Neferaneferaway, Setem Penre. I am so sorry. I really thought okay. I was just going to breeze through that. Hey, good that effort. Didn't work. Good I did effort. a really bad job. I job. practiced earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work out. Wow. And maybe a son. Can't win them all. Maybe they had a son, but we'll get Ooh. into that later. Just one? Just one. He's the prodigal. But it's not just the kissing images that are interesting. In the very beginning of his reign. They did porn. So pretty much. Um, no. <laughs> so Nefertiti in the beginning of the reign is always kind of pictured standing behind him or partially obscured. But over time, she moves to standing beside him. And then sometimes even standing on her own, like wearing Pharaoh garb, like very big flex. <laughs> <laughs> And we can see that she really does come to power. Okay. Um, but after about four years of reign, they decided to shake things up a bit in Egypt by completely changing the national religion. Oh, yes. yes, yes I know this. <laughs> yes. they, they made it monotheistic, right? Yep. Oh, that's this the thing I forgot. I that knew that. couple. I knew that. They were like... <laughs> They were like, guys, you know, all those gods we've been worshiping, let's worship like just one of them. Yeah. Okay. So okay good, good, Egypt good. was a polytheistic society with thousands of gods, including Anubis and Isis and Amun-Ra. Uh, Amun-Ra is most often just referred to as the sun god because he is the oldest and most powerful. That's the one I was thinking from the mummy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the god. But he represented, so there were actually like three sun gods. So he represented the noonday sun, which is like the most powerful. Okay. And then there was Aten, who represented the disk of the sun. So like the actual circle in the sky. Oh. Like the roundness. But isn't and it then, still round in midday? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Good. then Kefri, who represented the morning sun. It is interesting because it isn't like the, you know... The moon, which kind of changes shapes. Uh, I like stays the, round. I like the nighttime so, sun. Where's kinda, that one? I, I don't know. Is it, it the same as the morning sun? I guess so. I don't, but like, it kind of feels to me like a holy trinity kind of thing. You know, like one but many, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. of like different aspects of the same thing. And Egypt is like so close to the, what's that line called? The equator? Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like the sun is just like straight Beaming. overhead, right angle all day. Absolutely. Zero clouds, except for when it rains on the Nile and Pure otherwise sun. you're dead. Pure sun. Um, so <laughs> now each of these gods had what they called like specific cults. I know cult like sounds like a very scary word nowadays, but like it was really just like a team of priests and devotees whose kind of job it was to worship them. So Egyptians as a whole worshiped the entire pantheon. And a few guys were in charge of each specific God to make sure they were getting taken care of. Got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some just got more attention than others though. Like, you know, Amun-Ra is getting a lot more attention than, you know, some other guy. Right. It's like, <laughs> it's like Jesus versus the Holy Spirit. Like, yeah, yeah. People are like, so, fuck the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, and that's just how society works. So like your household might be like, oh, like we're really into ISIS here. And you know, that's just kind of how it works. And it's like, that's like our main deity, which I Love feel it. like is a big element of like Hinduism yeah. where it's like each family kind of has different gods that like they specifically kind of focus on well, like Grecian mythology, right. Mm-hmm. Too, like where like Medusa was specifically like in Athena's yes. temple. Like that's, that was her job. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the 
religious situation at the time. And because Egypt is in like a wealthy heyday, there is a lot more money being dedicated to the temples and the worship of the gods. And with more money comes more power. So we're entering also a time period where not only is the royal family much more wealthy, but the priests who are running these temples are extremely powerful figures in society because they are handling a lot of goddamn cash. Well, and Egypt too, much like India did have like a caste system. There is like Mm -hmm. an Egyptian like level of importance that like takes place where slavery also exists. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I, when you, if you were just to like Google caste system diagrams, they will come up from like Greece and Egypt Mm -hmm. and India. Like there's very, Many, many different versions, and Egypt is one of them. Yeah. So priests being at the top is pretty common. Oh, yeah. Like, no one is surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you mean the religious people <laughs> control the government? <laughs> My God. And not only do they have plenty of money, but they have direct connection to the gods. And you know what royal families hate when someone else has more power than them. Oh, wait. So are they going to be the people that are like, we are gods? They are going to Henry VIII this bitch. Fuck. Love it. They're going to nix the church. Uh They're going to be like, I'm going to make up my own church. Pretty much. Great. So the most powerful cult at the time was the cult of Amun-Ra, the midday sun god. And in fact, they had so much money that they kind of became like this specific cult became like the treasury department. So they would like Chick-fil-A pretty much. (laughs) So they would like hold the money and grain for the country for safekeeping because they had a lot of resources and they would kind of use it on behalf of the pharaoh to like get infrastructure stuff done, I think is how it worked. Don't quote me on that. Putting a lot of quotes with my fingers in the air. (laughs) But the pharaoh Nefertiti did not like this situation. So they decided that Egypt will now be a monotheistic culture and they will make the cult of Aten the only one to worship. And of course, they would be the heads of this newfound religion and they would be the closest to God. Again, pulling a Henry VIII. I mean, couldn't they? I mean... Freedom of religion, couldn't they? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So Amenhotep changes his name to Akhenaten, and Nefertiti adds a second name to her own, making her new name Nefer Neferawatan Nefertiti, which meant beautiful are the beauties of Aten, a beautiful woman comes. And it seems that Aten was a very deliberate choice because he's one of the few gods that is not a human or an amble of animal ample animal or a combination of the two atten is a symbol he is a round yellow sphere that just has rays coming off of it with like hands on them that seem to like you know come down and touch the humans it, it kind of symbolizes like this kind of unknowable mysterious power and because there's no other kind of graven image i'll use that term um it keeps the focus on Akhenaten and Nefertiti because it's not like another person in the picture it's a symbol and them and the hands come down and are like gracing them oh it's, it's like it's manifest destiny that's exactly They're, it this this sun god is manifesting on these two humans how smart I know how smart because and it's and they're not creating a new god they're using one that they're already familiar with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just being like no that's the reigning god and we're talking to him specifically because Akhenaten and Nefertiti wanted to be the center of Egyptian life. They're I mean, like, we don't want to just rule it. We want to be on the cover of you, us magazine every goddamn week. They took a class on exactly what to hashtag mm. in all of their carvings. And they were like, we are going to hashtag 
at knocking, knocking. Exactly. <laughs> They're like, we're going to make sure that this is in every image so everybody knows that we have been blessed by the gods and yep. we're in charge. That's true. Very smart. So they decided that the best way to introduce this major change to Egyptian culture, because they couldn't just do it overnight, was to throw a party. So there was a traditional celebration after a pharaoh had been in power for 30 years called a Hebset. How long did pharaohs live that long? I don't know. So it kind of seems like this festival rarely ever happens. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) There is no shot. So it was held after 30 years. And then after 30 years, it was held every three years. So it was kind of like, you made it to 30 years of power. Congratulations. And then it was like every three years to be like, we can't believe you're still alive. Congratulations. (laughs) And just kind of reaffirming him and renewing his power to be like, you're old as fuck. We still fucking like you. Okay. But (laughs) Akhenaten and Nefertiti, knowing that people loved this festival and that it didn't come around very often and that it was a celebration of reaffirming power they were like, you know what? Um, why don't we take it down from 30 to just the three every year? That sounds good. We'll just start it off there. And uh, yeah, every three years we'll have the Heb set. And people loved it. They're like, we love the Heb set. Absolutely. Because we can only have candy corn at the Heb set. And it's our favorite candy. When did we switch from odd numbers to even is my question about society. Because I love the <laughs> multiples of nine so much. And I feel like we do everything in twos and fours. I love an odd number. Me too. I love it. But why do we do everything on evens? So no one feels left out? I guess. Okay. That's why the royals like the odd numbers. <laughs> <laughs> they want people to be left out. So. They want a third wheel at the party. And that third wheel was Otten. It's um. the god. <laughs> it's them and the god. Exactly. But what people didn't like was that they chose not to invite or include the other gods and their priests. The entire event was focused on them and Otten. And they're like, hmm. That's kind of weird. And what they didn't realize was this festival was like a backdoor pilot to monotheism. (laughs) They were trying to get into people's heads like, yeah, there are other gods. But then there's Aten. Mm -hmm. And the other temples were like, what the fuck? Like, they felt really snubbed. It would be like if the government started only giving money to the Smithsonian's was like, yeah, I mean, like, transportation is cool. But have you seen zebras? Like, they're (laughs) so much better. They're great. So then without proper funding, the other temples started to close down and their shit gets donated to, you guess it, the cult of Aten. So it's kind of like, we're not going to say you can't do it, but we're going to cut off all your funding. Mm. So then it started to get a little bit more intense because that wasn't moving quick enough. So then they started erasing the names of the other gods from buildings and monuments. They even erased any use of the word gods so that it would only read God. They so put no like one a, would be confused. An X to the S. X it out. <laughs> put a good old number 10 on the S. This also had really unprecedented effect on the calendar because now that they canceled all of the celebrations for the other gods, they didn't know when like time was They're like, <laughs> but no that's how we count time is festivals and rituals and now you're cutting like 90 percent of that out <laughs> like it this completely wrecked society <laughs> my god i know people. they're and being then, wild and then it went even further 
They felt that Amun-Ra was too influential on the people of Thebes, which was where the capital was. So they moved the whole damn capital 200 miles north (laughs) to Akhenaten, which I know sounds exactly like the uh, Akhenaten, but there are two T's, Akhenaten, not Akhenaten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is now modern day Amarna. like Washington and Washington, D.C. Exactly. Right. So it's now modern day Amarna. So we're just going to call it Amarna. So we don't get confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they move it 200 miles north, again, traveling through the desert. Very difficult. And this allowed them to basically build an entire city from scratch focused on Aten. And, of course, they just put their picture and Aten's image on every surface imaginable. And they're making out in all their images. They're making out in all of them. It's grotesque. There's tongue. Oh, my gosh. A little bit of groping. And they, like, built this city literally to celebrate Aten. So, like, none of the buildings had, like, roofs on them because they're like, we want to get the sun all day, every day. And people were like, oh, my gosh, this is miserable. So, anyways, um, (laughs) where is the sunscreen? They also made some really interesting changes in Egyptian art at this time. So they wanted images of them and like other things in nature to be more lifelike. So they had the artists draw them in action, not just sitting rigidly. <laughs> Again, making out. They're like caricatures, this, please. <laughs> yeah. And this is you know, why we have images of them, you know, kissing and playing with their children. And they also made a really interesting choice to show flaws in their leaders, which artists had not done before. So, for example, like Akhenaten's father was still alive, but he was really old and he was fat and he had wrinkles and that's how he was portrayed. And oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't love that. <laughs> Please draw me without with an Instagram filter only. So previously, if a ruler was sculpted, he was portrayed like with a six pack, no matter how he looked. But for some reason, Akhenaten was like, no, I have a gut. So I want it sealed in stones. So that's why a lot of the pictures of him have like a belly hanging over his belt and wide hips because we also know that King Tut uh, and like other royals had the thing that Kirk has on Gilmore Girls. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like where like the chest is kind comes of compressed. In and, yes. And, and then your the, like rib cage comes in. Yeah, yeah. The rib cage kind of comes in and then like the belly kind of protrudes. And so I think it was just like, yeah, this is what I look like. So like fucking draw it. Like, <laughs> The confidence. I know. The real life confidence confidence of that. when you're this close to God. Pretty up there. (laughs) Um, So another thing. I mean, he did create him in his head. (laughs) So So, and another thing that they changed was that Nefertiti made sure that she was portrayed taking a very active role in government, religious life, and even the military. Yes, she did. She absolutely did. She is shown taking on the Pharaoh's role in certain religious ceremonies, wearing his clothes, riding a chariot into battle, or slaying down Egypt's enemies with a giant sword. (laughs) She's like, I want you to show me ripping heads. I... (laughs) She's like, I want to be playing volleyball with that person's head immediately in the drawing. Mm -hmm. So all this is going on. It's the late 1330s. Some people are obviously having a better time than others. Nefertiti and (laughs) Akhenaten having a pretty good time. So they end up hosting this huge pageant kind of thing with representatives from all different areas of the Egyptian kingdom. And they all come to Amarna to pay tribute and give them gifts And we have a painting of this event with Nefertiti and her husband and their six daughters all receiving their gifts. And this is the last portrait of her. It just 
stops. What happened? So, Katie, some people believe that she died during a great plague that hit Egypt during this time, and we know this happened. But we don't have any real evidence of this, and it seems like we would since we have detailed records of every other member of the royal family who died during this plague. Oh, my God. She ascended to heaven. <laughs> Probably. She ascended. Some people think that they faced the same fate as Egyptian gods, so we don't know what happened to her because when people kind of came back, they were like, let's just forget that that even happened. <laughs> oh my God. But my favorite theory is that she didn't die. But she served as co-regent or co-pharaoh for years and then became pharaoh after Akhenaten died, which often comes with a name change. Okay. So that's why we lost track of her. So here's the theory of what happened. During said plague, Akhenaten started to get a little worried that he was going to die. And at this point, the only male child he had was a baby named Tutankhamun. Shit. That's their kid? No, it isn't. So there's a lot of debate as to whether or not Nefertiti is the mother. Because, of course, like, that was his main queen. But he did have, like, consorts and, like, you know, concubines and things like that. Yeah, but he was, like, fucked up, right? So it's got to be in the bloodline. So it seems like... It's all those familial relations that make that shit happen. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the main evidence against this is that there's no written record of her giving birth to a son. But again, it could have been destroyed because people swept in Yo, to and the, erase them. The Library of Alexandria was like burnt to the ground. We lost exactly. all that His shit. His birth certificate could have been in there. So yeah, you know that birth- <laughs> social security <laughs> social- number. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is. <laughs> so he didn't want to have all of his work undone, Akhenaten. So. When he was afraid that he was going to die, he decided to make his brother Smenker co-pharaoh with the stipulation that when Tutankhamun was old enough, really bad name, (laughs) um, he would be pharaoh. So it's like, okay, Smenker, you're going to be in control. But when I die, like, you know, when Tutankhamun's old enough, you give the reins to him. Smenker sounds like (laughs) off-brand manscaping. It does. Smenker. Swonderful, marvelous Smencare. <laughs> but Smencare is only listed as being Pharaoh for one year. So some people think that bef- that he died in the same plague, but before Akhenaten died. So because, again, we have these co-Pharaoh situations. So then he's like, shit, I need another co-Pharaoh. But he needed someone else that he could trust because he really didn't want all of his work to be undone. So after Did she this, blow herself up? Kind of. So then we know that someone named Nefer-Neferawatan, which we know is the first half of her name, becomes co-pharaoh. Listen, I got a great disguise. <laughs> we'll cut off the second half of my name. And we'll just... No one will know. <laughs> and we don't. Good job. You got us. Um, so, <laughs> so it's believed that he made her co-pharaoh, and then when he died... But Tutankhamun was still a little baby. She was the sole pharaoh for a few years. And this also makes sense because Nefer-Neferawatan started to kind of slowly roll back those big religious changes that Akhenaten had made. I think that she saw that people were unhappy and that people wanted their gods back. And she didn't want to hand over a country in turmoil to her son. I mean, I feel like that women are good at reading people. Yeah. I think that that makes it. And also we know that like 
I mean, I think that like men in charge have a really hard time of admitting like shit. That was probably a bad choice. Um, you so mean why don't we roll it back just a bit? You mean Ab- Abigail Adams when she was <laughs> like, "Remember the ladies," because literally second half <laughs> of that quote is because men are tyrants. <laughs> like it's true. Like they always cut off that part, and yeah. she's like, "No, because men are terrible." And like, yeah, just let us help you. We're really so, good at things. I feel like this not only proves that she was Pharaoh, but I think it proves that she was King Tut's mother. I think. But again, all these are theories based on... It's hearsay. 3,000-year-old cave paintings. No. Oh. Great. Tomb engravings. Temple engravings. All of it. So... <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> so if this is all true, she would have ruled for about three years on her own. But still, what happened to her? <laughs> One of the reasons we're not sure is because her tomb and funeral plans are believed to have been repurposed for Tutankhamun. Stop it. Why? Did he die first? No. So it's believed that, like, because he died suddenly, and we'll get into her, like, they needed to put him somewhere grand. And so she... um, like it's believed that like they, they just didn't use want, her shit. They didn't want to use it for her, so they used it for him. Well, that's because it was already ready. That's pretty fucked up though, because don't you like plan your afterlife as an yeah. Egyptian, like during your life? And if he died suddenly, that's not his fucking shit. Yeah, I'm but really she mad about might that. have been murdered. Oh, no, okay. it was his shit in her tomb. Yeah, that's but what like I'm her, saying. Yeah. But it's her tomb. It's her tomb. Yeah, that's her afterlife carriage point. Mm-hmm. How's she gonna so... get through the river Styx, <laughs> that Grecian river Styx, exactly. that other mythology? <laughs> So, um, yeah, so for all these years, the most famous pharaoh that we know of, really, was buried in the tomb of a queen. Um, But two mummies, again, all speculation, that may not be true. But two mummies were uncovered, which may have provided some clues as to what happened in Nefertiti. So in 1898, two mummies were found buried beside one another in a hidden chamber within Akhenaten's tomb in the Valley of the Kings. And they were initially just called Older Woman and the Younger Woman. The older woman was positively identified as Queen Tai, Akhenaten's mother. And when further DNA tests were done on the second mummy, it was determined that the younger woman was indeed Tutankhamun's mother, which we know there's a good chance that Nefertiti was. And if this is Nefertiti, it could again give us an important clue as to what happened in her last day, because this mummy's face is completely bashed in. Oh, my God, no. So this was originally thought to be the work of grave robbers, but then when the mummy was scanned by a lab, they discovered that it had been done in death because like they were, posthumously. like... posthumously. No, no, like, pre-humously. She had been murdered. Like, yeah, because like, there are, like, her whole face is kind of bashed in, but there were parts that were, like, in the nasal cavities which couldn't have happened after. Like, if she had been hit by grave robbers, it would have just, like, disintegrated and fallen off. The skin and stuff wouldn't have been up inside. Exactly. Like, the crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, so the bash to the head and the sudden change in funeral plans kind of point to an unfortunate end for a very powerful woman, because I think that people were really mad because her and her husband caused a real mess. And I think that people were really mad at her and they wanted to just get her out of there. So they killed her and then were like, you are not even fit to be in your own tomb. And then they repurposed it. Because moving the capital, building these new temples, moving 50,000 people 200 miles away into the desert, and scrubbing all evidence of other gods, 
cost a lot of money. And Egypt, one of the wealthiest and most advanced ancient kingdoms, was in debt and in near financial ruin by the end of their 17-year reign. Wow. 17 years. And they brought one of the most powerful countries to economic turmoil. Damn. And even though she may have tried to fix things for the next pharaoh, the damage was done. So... Again, I think that, you know, when Tutankhamun was finally old enough, they murdered her to make sure that any remnants of the Aten era were just gone. I think they just wanted to be done with it. And then when he died at a young age, they just put him in her tomb because it was already built and fit and for And they were like, damn, now we have to, we got to figure something out. Exactly. So now we're going to talk archaeology because this girl is like Tupac being spotted everywhere <laughs> and nowhere all at the same time. She's everywhere. <laughs> She's still alive. She's with Tupac and Elvis. Exactly. Currently. But one of the so we're going to talk first about the obviously the Nefertiti bust, which has caused controversy for years. Um, OK, but why are people do people think it's like that's not her at all? No, people think it's her, but they think it's fake. So. It's notable for a few reasons. Number one, the quality. I mean, it is in like pristine condition. There's like a couple little things broken, but. So it's showing her, but somebody else made it. What do you mean? Later on. Yeah, they think that it was like someone just made it. Oh, that's what I've always And then buried in the sand. Oh, yeah. I didn't know it was like found. I thought it was like one of those renderings where like. Oh, really? Yeah, I've never thought it was like something that was her. Oh, Yeah. Maybe I've watched too much History Channel so. <laughs> where they're like, this is not her. So so it's notable because, again, the quality. Number two, the fact that the left eye is missing, which is a real mystery. And number three, the fact that Egyptologists can't figure out if it's real or not. Oh, my God. Carbon date that shit. They can't. <laughs> it's limestone and how plaster. Did, how did they take carbon out of it? They can't. I don't understand. So the bust was first discovered by German archaeologists in 1912 among the ruins of their sun capital Amarna. So it already gets a little controversial because another archaeologist had excavated the site in the 1890s. And basically after a few years, he was like, we found all that we can. There's nothing left here. But this guy Ludwig Borschat felt that there's more to be discovered. And he just so happens to be under immense pressure because the Kaiser of Germany was like, dude, everyone else in Europe is balls deep in artifacts. You have got to find something good for Germany to put on display. I mean, for real, though, the British took everything. They did. So some people feel that Borshot may have forged a head of Nefertiti and buried it in the sand and discovered it on one of his archaeological digs. Yes. Yes, he did. (laughs) And another theory is that he had made this model and like, because there were some, there was like the prince of whatever was coming to see them and they were like, oh my gosh, a real bust of Nefertiti. And he didn't like, he he didn't want to correct a royal person. So some people think that it was all just, again, male fragility and not just being able to be like, no, 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 this is a model. That's what happened. That's absolutely what happened. Okay. It's one of the theories. (laughs) That's absolutely (laughs) what happened. Did they test the blue paint? Did they make sure the blue paint was of era? It was. How? We'll get into it. How? Okay. So that's a little on the skeptical skeptical side, but I'm going to kind of like play back and forth a little bit. But on the legit side... 
we do see a guy, Borshot, whose background is in architecture. So he was an architect before he was an archaeologist. So before he excavated even more areas, he drew up detailed floor plans of the site and found that there was an area that was really untouched, an area that was believed to be the house and workshop of the royal artist that Moses. So previous archaeologists were not really looking at the smaller houses because they were more interested in the palace, so they didn't even bother looking there. But in his house, they not only found the bust of Nefertiti, but artist tools, the pigments that they would have used for like other works, and then lots of other busts, including one of Akhenaten. But of course, none were as pristinely preserved as Nefertiti's. So how it kind of goes is like he comes in, he finds it, he finds all these things, and he's like, I'm donating them to the Neues Museum in Berlin because yay, Germany. So he writes up his findings in a detailed report, takes him like 10 years to write. And we'll get into like him shipping them out in a minute because that's also contentious. <laughs> but since its discovery, people have been calling its authenticity into question. It's like, why was it the only one perfectly preserved? Why does it appear to be in a different style than the rest? And why does the German government forbid the curator of the Neues Museum today from speaking about it? Um, <laughs> and then other people think it's a forgery because like, of like little details. Like The arms of this bust are cut vertically. Like normally all busts were flat horizontal, on the bottom or yeah. horizontal, but this one is cut. The arms are vertically basically chopping off the shoulders, which was uncommon in Egyptian art. Apparently the only other case of this was a smaller bust found at the site. So it's kind of like, are both of them fake? Is only one of them fake? We don't know. So, and like the colors just seem so bright and vivid. Like how do they survive when literally everything else in that area was crumbling to bits? But then there are some argument, arguments for it being authentic. I mean, the Egyptians had a specific way of measuring, which was the Egyptian finger. And when they examined the bust, everything was exactly proportional based on that measurement tool. Well, do you know what's really interesting? Mm -hmm. That producer and I watched uh, like a documentary recently of like a tomb that was found that was untouched by grave robbers altogether. Mm -hmm. And like they went inside and it was so colorful. Mm. And I always thought like that Egyptian art was just like carved into like the stone and didn't realize that the color had faded away. Mm -hmm. And then I saw it and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. They're beautiful. Yeah, so beautiful. And I don't think I realized that. Yeah. And they use so many colors. Yeah. So I'm like very glad this is vivid, but also yeah. nothing else at the site was vivid. That I doesn't know. make a lot of sense. It doesn't. But again, the, it was exactly proportional in this measurement tool because a, an Egyptian like a yard, finger, a farling, an Egyptian <laughs> finger was 1.87 centimeters. So if a modern sculptor was making a recreation, he would have used a modern unit of measurement and not the Egyptian finger method. And again, this is the early 1900s, so they wouldn't have known to be that precise in creating a forgery. Okay. And then there's the plaster. Scientists have finally been able to study a piece of it, and they concluded that it's the same exact plaster used in the Armana period, more than 3,000 years ago. And... It's, again, like a very specific composite of plaster that 
a person back in the early 1900s would not have known to exactly mimic it. Right. So like today forgers will be like, oh my God, this yellow paint was not oil-based. So I have to get old paint to forge this thing. But back then they may not have known that. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same exact thing with the colors. It's like they are of the era. We can't carbon date them or anything, but we know that they were of the era and people in the early 1900s just wouldn't have known how to make such a pristine forgery like some forgers today know how to do. Katie, where's her eye? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so focused on her eyeball. So (laughs) this is my favorite theory about the eye. Some people believe that this particular head was a model because it was in his shop and they thought that it was used to make other copies of Nefertiti's image. Oh, and interesting. The missing eye is simply a tool. So he can be like, Hey, anybody else who makes this bust, this is how deep you have to make the eye socket to get the eye correct. Yeah. It was just, a, I, yes. I think that checks. Makes so, I think it checks it because so sense. there's nothing in there. It, and it, and it's hooded, you know, like the yeah. eyelid is partially closed. So like, you it, can't just pop it out. You can't pop it out without breaking the eyelid. Oh, my God. When someone makes a bust of me, my eyes have to be precious gems. <laughs> have to be. So this is my favorite theory, and I think the most likely. Um, another theory was that it was made as a snub to the queen, saying, like, oh, she's not as pretty as she thinks she is. She's ugly. But she's so beautiful. I know. And then there's also a theory based on love. Some people think that Thutmosis, the sculptor, was in love with Nefertiti and kept one eye empty because he claimed that she was blind to his love for her. That's what Natty Bo is. You know that? What? Oh, my God. So Natty Bo, you know how. Okay, so people not from Baltimore, if you've seen Natty Bo or the Natty Bo picture, you can only see one of his eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. And there was another beer company at the time, and the advertisement was My Other Eyes on Gunther, which was the beer company. Mm. He kept his eye on Gunther. That's so cute. I love that. I saw that in the Baltimore, one of the museums. <laughs> I did read it in an actual museum. That's not bullshit. That's, That's awesome. Real. Okay. <laughs> Just like Nefertiti. Exactly. Natty Bo and Nefertiti are <laughs> the, the same. same. Jinx. So... This is one theory, or it could have just gone missing over the course of 3,000 years. But again, I don't know. The other eye is perfectly intact. (sighs) But what we really need to talk about, what we need to really end on, is the thriving contention between Egypt and Germany concerning where Nefertiti really belongs. Because... Give them the fucking Give them the fucking bust back. It is not yours, you thieves. And again... I need to talk about this. I didn't mention it before because I wanted to finish with it. When Borshad found the bust, whether you want to believe it's real or not, there was a rule that anything belonging to the kings and queens of Egypt needed to stay in Egypt. That rule was in place. Stop. But when he showed a photo of the bust, he only took a photo of the nose and the mouth. He didn't include the fucking crown on top of her head. He specifically did an upsetting close-up. Hate it. Then when someone came to inspect his findings, they looked at the boxes, but not super closely as to what was in them because on the detailed list he provided, he listed that the bust was that of a princess and not a queen, even though in his personal notes, he knew all along that it was Queen Nefertiti's. And this makes Egyptians rightfully feel like it was stolen from Egypt because they had rules in place and he broke them. 
You cannot keep doing this. You cannot keep doing this. Uh, it's absurd that these people do not have their own artifacts in their own museums. Yeah. It's absurd. Well, and I think it's also so true because I think about it sometimes and I'm like, I literally don't have anything here that's like that old and that tied to my culture not in the east coast not on the east coast but if you've been to the west coast there's some cool ass native american shit well there is that's that's what i'm saying though like as just like a white woman from german heritage like there's nothing like that that i feel tied to so like i can't even imagine how it feels like that's something of my ancestors and you fucking stole it and you knew you were stealing it otherwise you wouldn't have lied and been so shady you know what I'm saying? It's full of he shit. He knew what I he was it. doing. I hate it so he much. He knew what he was doing. So personally, I feel that if the country of origin feels strongly that she should be home in Egypt, then she should. And again, or if, if they feel strongly that they want to loan her out to museums around right. the world, because a lot of people want to share their heritage. Let that's her travel. Fine too. If they want her to. Which I'm excited. Free Nefertiti. Free Nefertiti. <laughs> free Nefertiti's bus. Nefertiti. <laughs> oh my god, I hate you. I hate it. That's terrible. Yes. Nefertiti. Nefertiti. Um, but I am excited because I did get to watch a lot of like <laughs> oh, I also need to do my sources. I'll do that after I do my little thing. Oh my but um <laughs> I did find out that they're building this giant new museum of Egyptian artifacts in Cairo, I think it is. And it's like huge. And they're bringing all of King Tut's artifacts back together. So they'll all be back together for the first time. Yes. <laughs> like, thousands of, well hundreds of years because he was just found like a couple hundred years you know what yeah, i'm saying whatever like they're all gonna be back together like they're really trying to make cairo like this is where they are from this is where they belong yes. give us our shit back please so no matter if you think that any of these artifacts or mummies really tie us to her i think that it's just cool that we're still talking about this woman who was just as controversial in death as she was in life and that's her story. And, and I want to give to it. <laughs> exactly. So I want to give a shout out because I got a lot of this from History Extra podcast. They had like a real Egyptologist who was really interesting because he wrote a whole book about how, you know, Nefertiti was never a pharaoh, da 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 da. And then he changed his mind after like relooking at stuff. And he was like, oh shit, I think she actually was a pharaoh. I was wrong, which is what. Akhenaten never did. Um, and I got a lot of this from Weird History YouTube channel, a timeline documentary called The Mysteries of Nefertiti, and of course, like Wikipedia. But but yeah, but that's it. That's the story. I'm obsessed. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that. That last bit got my juices flowing. I know. That's why you always have to end with the archaeology, because it's the most fun. <laughs> you know what they you know what they say? <laughs> that should be in a museum. <laughs> Me and Indiana Jones. Oh, all right. We need to get more drinks. And then we'll be right back. You ready to go to America? I'm ready. Whoa. Hop in the pond. <laughs> Brooke, name three men from history off the top of your head. Uh, Washington, Adams, Jefferson. Okay. Now name three women. Uh, um, Tubman, Anthony, um, uh, Roosevelt, Eleanor. Okay. It took you longer to name the women. Okay. Harsh, but yes. (laughs) 
One of the biggest reasons that this happens is that there's consistency in the K-12 curriculum on which men need to be taught, and there is no consistency on women. Okay, I don't feel so bad. I'm Kelsey Eckert. I'm a high school history teacher. And I'm Brooke Sullivan, a girl who missed out on a lot of important ladies in school. And together we're creating tools to get women's history in the K-12 classroom. Our podcast, Remedial History, comes out every Monday. Kelsey teaches me a lesson that should be a staple in every curriculum. We're talking themes and important women, and Kelsey tells me the main reasons why these women are skipped over in school. Each week on our website, www.remedialhistory.com, I post an inquiry-based lesson plan for teachers based on our episode. And we found every other lesson plan of worth that's out there and linked them for you. Check it out. You can find Remedial Herstory anywhere you get your podcasts. Oh my, second half. Second half, another pink drink. We are just back to back with the pink. Oh, it's perfect. Do you want to know what it is? I do. What is it? This is called Virginia's Hidden Flotus. Okay. And it is a half an ounce of lemon juice, one ounce of vodka, one ounce of cranberry juice. You mix that all together in a shaker. You put it in a champagne flute. You top it with rosé, and then you put some rosemary in it. I love it. It's the fanciest drink. Mm. That's so good. It is so refreshing. I love the cranberry juice with the sparkling rosé it adds like a little bit of a bite it feels vinegary because it's in a good way cranberry cocktail yes it just adds just a little bit of sour to an a very sweet Sweet. looking drink yeah it's it's delicious mm, mm, mm. wow two awesome cocktails (laughs) i mean we're starting a new trend season nine Only, Only good tasting cocktails. cocktails. That was the goal from the beginning, but we've learned. Maybe we've taken some master classes. No Coco Chanel's here. <laughs> wow, what a bad drink. <laughs> there are so many bad drinks I've done. Oh, me too. I was really bummed because, like, Eartha Kitts, when I think I just got the dimensions off. So I like, thought it was really good. We were just not good at drinking gin, and it was second story. If that was first story, yeah, we would have blown through it. We were just wasted. That's true. <laughs> I didn't dislike it. Okay. What? I mean, I'm sure you know about Sally Hemings. Can you tell okay. me what you know about Sally Hemings? Because I'm about to break your world. I want my world to be broken because, really, I don't know too much. I mean, I know that she was, like, like involved with thomas jefferson right like yeah it was like yeah so like i just know that like it he, like she was like his girlfriend but like i'm hoping it was consensual but i don't know um i'm guessing maybe that's a question people have but i know that she was with thomas jefferson and so much so that she is famous. Like she's not one of the ones that we've like lost to history. Right. So I'm very curious to know because I really, she's just always put as a side note to Thomas Jefferson's story. And I'm really excited to actually hear her story. Yeah. I'm the rock. (laughs) Sorry. I had to. Um, I'm excited to talk about it. So my sources are, I watched this documentary, Sally Hemings, um, redefining history. And then there's this incredible book I'm going to reference later. That was, um, kind of like the first one in the nineties to bring this to light. And I'll talk about 
um, that author. There's a piece by her son that's from the era. Oh, um, cool. From, he from, had, she had a lot of his children, their, correct? That's like their the big son. Thing. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and then obviously Monticello has released a lot about this. And then I found this new podcast this week. It's going to be my promo. So I'll talk about it later, but it's called Flotus Forever. And when I turned it on and one of the hosts referred to um, Thomas Jefferson is TJ, which is what I always do. TJ. So I always call him TJ. I've done it in these episodes <laughs> before. I was like, this girl is of my heart because so Thomas Jefferson was the coolie, coolie, coolest. Like <laughs> if you're talking and the I'm bad strawberry now I mean, hair. <laughs> on the wrong side of history for yes. sure. But like, if you're talking founding fathers, he was the bachelor pad cool as shit guy he's like yeah i'm gonna write the declaration of independence and then they get it and like changed nothing they were like yeah this is great so he was like you're tj (laughs) perfect excuse me tj we love you george washington was like where can i blow you and when (laughs) (laughs) what i love you tj that's what happened (laughs) write it down i'm gonna give you a bj i'm so sorry (laughs) It's what the happened. Undiscovered song of Hamilton. <laughs> I mean, that's in the director's cut. <laughs> really, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams had like a relate a frenemy relationship, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> now, after that little joke, I want to start by saying Thomas Jefferson owned and raped this girl. Okay. There's a huge power dynamic. There's a massive age gap. This is in most cases by most historians opinions non-consensual sex okay so if i talk about tj in a favorable light or if i talk about sally and thomas possibly having feelings feelings for each other please know that i'm not in any way painting this as star-crossed lovers this is not what it is okay well because that's why i was like she wasn't his wife she no. wasn't his girlfriend because no. i didn't want to use that term because it sounds too so her like, son used the word concubine okay so that's what he used some historians use the word mistress but that kind of sounds chosen concubine sounds taken it does yeah and i thought her son using it gave me a little bit of leverage in that um, yeah it's kind of like this isn't my opinion right that she was a con- it's someone who was close to her who saw it up close right okay um and we also we have no journals or letters or quotes from sally herself so i don't want to put words in her mouth it's not my place to do that but we don't know if she was literate um because she was a slave so i'm just going to tell her story the best i can through what other people have said about her which is a tragedy but i'm going to try so Sally's grandmother, that's where we're starting, okay. is from Western Africa. Her name is Bayobeya, and she was relatively young in the 1700s when people from her village were rounded up and forced onto a slave ship. She became a slave in America whilst in, you know, while it was still a colony of Great Britain. It was common at the time in the American colonies that if you were wealthy and someone came to visit you, you would offer them food and drink and a bed partner. She was given to a man named John Hemmings in this way. He was a lawyer and a slave trader. This sex with Captain John Hemmings produced this rape with Captain John Hemmings produced a daughter named Betty. So we now have grandmother and mother. Betty is Sally's mother. Betty grew up as a slave on a plantation of a man named John Wales. Betty's life would be very similar to her mother's life in that mm. she was trafficked. Mm. So, Biobea 
and Betty and Sally were sex trafficked. I think we don't think about that a lot with slaves, but this was sex trafficking in a lot of cases. So John Wales had been married several times and been widowed several times. He had um, a white child with his previous European wives, but decided to take Betty, Sally's mother, as his concubine and bore six children um, with her. I'll say she bore six children for him, not with him. Yeah who were biracial. Uh, Sally was the last of these children. So the youngest, she was named Sarah at birth. She was the youngest of six kids and was born in 1773. Her father and three out of four of her grandparents were white slave owners. She was one fourth, one eighth. She was like one eighth black. Oh my God. By the time, and it's only in three generations three generations so rape 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 one eighth black yeah um but obviously still born into slavery because she's a person of color yeah um so baby sally does have a white half-sister and her white half-sister is named martha wales martha wales marries thomas jefferson so she is the half-sister of Thomas Jefferson's wife. Oh, my God. So that crazy pants. Really upsetting. Yeah. Crazy, 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 crazy. So they share a father. So Thomas Jefferson um, had long-term relationships with two women with the same father-in-law. That is insane. Yeah. Okay. Real insane. So one of the many tragedies of slavery was that parents had no say in or no idea what happened to their children. They grew up, they were sold. That's gut wrenching. Mm -hmm. The year before Sally was born, like I said, her sister was 20 years old, maybe 21. And she gets married to a 30 year old white revolutionary man named Thomas Jefferson, TJ. (laughs) By all accounts, Thomas and Martha are deeply, deeply in love. He was head over heels for Martha. And there's so many things you can learn about Martha Jefferson and her family was slave owners and she was a slave owner, but she's a really cool girl on the wrong side of history. The year after they married, about the same time Sally was born, John Wales dies. So Sally and Martha's father dies. So Martha inherits all of his slaves. And now Thomas Jefferson inherits all of those slaves right because anything that is the property of a woman is really the property of her husband sally let's be clear is under three years old when this happens and she is in monticello owned by her sister and her sister's husband okay she's three So TJ has this farm book where he keeps detailed records of his slaves, their names, their children, their, because they're assets, their property. He wants to know where they are, what they're doing, who is connected with who. Mm -hmm. From the beginning, Betty gets there from the father-in-law, Betty, Sally's mom, and all of her six children come. And in the farm book, they get a surname. They're the only slaves in the farm book with a surname, which is Hemmings, because obviously they're related to his wife, so he's keeping track of this. Other slaves are not represented in this same way. This is the first clue that Sally's life is going to be very different from a typical slave. This doesn't mean it's not horrid, just different. Yeah. 
thing number one is Sally actually knows her lineage and she can pass it down to her children. Mm. She knows the names of her mother, her father, her grandmother, her grandparents. And that's a privilege I don't even understand not knowing. Of course I know the name of my parents. Yeah. She has no, like she knows and all of the other people working at Monticello, no idea. Yeah. They don't know. Well, I've heard that that's like a real problem in like how westernized our education system oh, is. Yeah. It's like, it's like class project, but like find your family's coat of arms. <laughs> and some kids are like, I don't, I don't have one. Like yeah. what? Like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Like, and it my is- last name is Washington. Cause yeah. it was changed for me. <laughs> that's exactly it. And it's like, I'm, glad that it at least lives on in like one of many like mm-hmm. oh my god it's really hard yeah so um sally's family were to use restaurant terms the front of house slaves because they are super super light-skinned because they're all biracial as hell mm-hmm. um and they could even most of them could present as white if they wanted to um many slave owners did tactics like this to confit to conceal from others and from themselves the horrors of slavery Mm -hmm. you weren't bringing in the people who were beaten in the fields um it was just easier to accept it if you didn't see yourself as a bad guy yeah so special treatment obviously doesn't mean a life of leisure. Young slave children went to work as soon as they were able, usually around six years old. And Sally was supposed to care for the children of her master, which meant her nieces. She is in charge of taking care of Martha and Thomas's niece, like children, which are her biological nieces. Um, so she would have been taught weaving and spinning and making clothes. And then at, in older years, because she's only like six, taking care of five-year-olds. It's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> in her older years, she would have been taught and taught and taught <laughs> a skilled craft. You know what I mean? She mm-hmm. would have been given like a specific skill. Mm-hmm. Because the Hemings were related to Martha, um, you know, she kept them all. She didn't sell them, which I guess says something for her. She didn't sell any of them away. So Sally had a benefit that other slaves never really had. She grew up with her mother and all of her siblings. Wow. She had her entire family around her her whole life, except for her dad, who was also Martha's dad, who had died. It's so hard to, like, you want to be like, oh, my gosh, it's so nice. But, like, nothing about no, it. No, it's not nice. nice. It's this not, not nice. nice at all. Being like, a little kind to a slave is still being a slave owner. Exactly. <laughs> you dick. It's, like, why I hate, like, the whole thing of, like, yeah, but George Washington was, like, nice to us. So he's, like, he was still, like, yeah. he was still a slave owner. Like, he didn't and he, free fucking anybody. And, again, it's also important to note that, like, it's not like there weren't people being, like, maybe we should Stop fucking doing this. Guess who didn't have slaves? The president right between Washington and Jefferson. Yeah. The Adamses were like super against slavery. They come up in this story, by the way, because they're great. Great. Um, Except for the Alien and Sedition Act, which was bullshit. (laughs) But other than that, they were really good. So she did grow up with her mothers and siblings. She knew who she was. She knew where she came from. She knew she had a family to love. And... She never had to go to sleep at night wondering if somebody she loved would be sold away, which is a benefit that most people didn't have. Yeah. So June 1776, (laughs) the Declaration (laughs) of Independence. You got TJ over Lamplight in Philadelphia. Like, oh, men are created equal, but they're not. Um, (laughs) The first. Except you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All these truths to be held. Okay. The first draft. 
actually did include a passage that blamed King George and England for the slave trade and called for abolition in TJ's first draft. But he knew slavery, he, this is why it's so problematic. He knew slavery was incompatible with what he wrote in the Declaration of Independence. He knew it. This isn't to say that he was very forward thinking because he did believe that black people were intellectually inferior. We know that from some of the letters he wrote to other people, but he was unwilling to put a spotlight on that because he knew how many slaves he had at Monticello. And he knew that so many people would not be nearly as wealthy without right. slave labor. And like, they wouldn't sign on to this revolution. Yeah. If you're thinking, like, if I do this, I'm going to lose everything, then you're absolutely not going to join in this huge fight against the strongest country in the world. Yeah. It's almost like they hide behind the fact that they're like, yeah, but no, they're inferior. And it's like, you're hiding behind that because you know that the country would not be economically where you want it to be yeah. if you just admitted like <laughs> that what you're doing just is admit fucked you're wrong. Up. This like, is like really terrible. Mm. Um, so the time he's in Philly, he writes all this shit. He's a part of the first continental Congress, whatever, whatever. He returns to Virginia and is the governor of Virginia, of course. And um, Martha Jefferson is the uh, first lady of Virginia. The steady rhythm of life is happening at Monticello. It's during the revolution. Martha Jefferson gives birth to like, has five or six babies in like nine years. Only two of the kids survive. Oh my God. And she is emotionally and physically wrecked. (sighs) Sally obviously would have been caring for these children. So she's also like these Babies keep dying in my care. I'm a young teenage girl. This and is, they're related to her. They're her nieces and nephews. Layers upon it's layers. It's terrible. It's so painful. Um, and the two that survive are Patsy and Polly, which those aren't their names. They were really like Martha and Mary, but everybody <laughs> went by weird nicknames back then. Everyone had the same two names, Martha and Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, let's go by Patsy and Polly, the other names. I like it. <laughs> so... Finally, Martha gives birth to her final daughter, Lucy, and then her body gives way to death. It was just too much for her to bear. Thomas Jefferson is inconsolable. Inconsolable. Mm-hmm. Didn't leave his room for three weeks. His oldest daughter, Patsy, has to, which this is not fair to her, has to take over oh my God. running Monticello. He gets invited to the Second Continental Congress and is like, not coming does not go doesn't go you can't do that you're thomas jefferson you have to come he doesn't he is so heartbroken but he's also such a drama queen (laughs) (laughs) he i I mean wow is this whole episode just about drama (laughs) i mean he dies on the 50th anniversary of when he wrote the declaration of independence this asshole (laughs) like he like probably took hemlock just to like get out of here in time anyway you heard her here first (laughs) thomas jefferson committed suicide (laughs) we all know um actually 
fun fact. So Jefferson and Adams died on the same day on July 4th. And somebody else had died on July 4th. And then Madison was a week away from July 4th when he was dying. And they asked him if they wanted him to prolong his life for a week. And he was like, absolutely fucking not. This ah! not be a trend. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? You hit it here first. Every president must die on Feb- <laughs> July 4th. Everybody get on it. <laughs> we got a lot left that we can take out. Lee Harvey Oswald really screwed the pooch. <laughs> oh Wrong date. John Wilkes Booth, what the fuck <laughs> were you doing? <laughs> Whoever killed McKinley, I like that we're ignoring all the other presidents. Just naturally died. Zachary Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Millard Fillmore. <laughs> yup. Okay. You know, I used to be able to name all the presidents. I'm sure you did because Christian schools make you memorize things and that's a bad way to learn. Actually, I didn't learn it from there. <laughs> I learned it from a book called Yo Millard Fillmore. That's where Marjorie learned it. She has Yo that Millard book. Fillmore? Yes. It's the best book ever. It's really good. I absolutely agree with that. That's a good, 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 good. That's going to be my plot plug for today. <laughs> Yo Millard Fillmore. I hate myself. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm trying to add, like, a little bit of levity because this story is so fucking um, tragic. Please keep adding levity because everybody dies always in the uh. 1700s. Okay. I don't know where I am. <laughs> Je- Jefferson has been locked up in his house. Oh, yeah. He's so sad. He's, like, so sad. Okay. He won't even eat his porridge. So here's the crazy, 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 crazy thing. So tradition holds, and Monticello has this, that Martha gave Sally this bell. Who the fuck knows why? But they have this bell on display. That's <laughs> like she gave her this in her deathbed. Why? Because it's your little sister you asked that you owned? Who knows? But also, she, and we have to do Martha Jefferson because she had a crazy-ass life. And also Patsy because she had a crazy-ass <laughs> life. But... Martha Jefferson, like, pulls in her dear husband on her deathbed and is like, I had two stepmothers, and I hated them. Never remarry. <gasps> and he's like, yes, dear. Love you. Makes the promise. He's never getting married again. He's, like, 37 or some shit. <laughs> and about that's to like be the, the fucking president. That's, like, the exact opposite of what a lot of women, they're like, marry I want you to be happy. I'm like, marry yeah. again. She's like, don't you dare. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I feel like you would do. You'd be like, Jake, don't you dare. I would be like, if you ever pretend (laughs) another woman was equal (laughs) or better to me, I will haunt you. I will moaning myrtle your fucking toilet. (laughs) All seven toilets in this house will be haunted. Don't you worry. (laughs) Me and the Healy girls. (laughs) I'm coming back. Eleven girls for seven toilets. The Allie Greenwood memoir. That's not the name of it. I don't know what will be. Oh, my God. Okay. So now Sally is responsible for Jefferson's daughters, Patsy, Polly, and Lucy. The war ends, whatever, whatever. (laughs) The following year, still super sad about his wife. Um, So he's like, you know what? I'm just going to take a job overseas in France and get my head off of this. I can't be here. Because he did, like, build the house for his wife or whatever. Classic escape to France. Right. (laughs) Head out. Him and Josephine Baker. (laughs) So What a comparison. (laughs) So he goes and he's like, I'm going to take my oldest daughter, Patsy, and James Hemmings, which is Sally's older brother Mm because she's got lots of brothers. So TJ takes them, but France has just gone through a revolution. So like slavery doesn't exist there anymore. 
So James gets there, James free, and TJ is like, okay, learn to be a French chef. I'm going to pay you $4 a week to be my French chef in France because slavery is illegal. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? Um, and uh, off on a technicality. <laughs> <laughs> For like a second. <laughs> so then um polly and lucy and sally (laughs) that's so many e's (laughs) go to stay with like a friend or whatever while he's gone but because sally's like their personal slave so both of the girls get whooping cough (gasps) lucy and polly and lucy dies and tj again is like my god i am failing altogether as a single dad so he's like polly get over here stat and then he writes his dear friend Abigail Adams and he's like who the hell is supposed to bring Patsy to me like I need to know what slave I should choose (laughs) and (laughs) Abigail Adams of course who knew both Marshall Washington and Martha Jefferson is like okay I'm gonna pick this like decent middle-aged woman and then the middle-aged woman is supposed to come but then gets really really sick and can't so Abby's like, I don't know. I don't know. The one who's been watching her forever, which she hasn't met Sally. She's like the one who's always been watching her. Um, so TJ's like, okay, whatever. Sally, bring, bring her to France. Like, fine. So they get on this boat, 14 and 15 years old, to come across the ocean. <laughs> I um, like that he's like, I'm afraid of my children dying, so why don't you get on a boat for a month and a half? <laughs> a dirty, dirty boat. <laughs> with all these weird men. <laughs> Come now. Um, Come so, sail away with me. Sail away. To Paris. Uh, to Paris. The two girls get across the ocean together, and the Adamses pick them up in London. <laughs> This is dead serious. The Adamses are like, okay, come on in. And Abby is aghast at the fact that Sally is 14 years old. And um, she's supposed to go right back to America. But Abby writes TJ and is like, well, what if, like, she just, like, came to France and, like, watched her there? Because Abby's thinking if I get her to France, she's free and then she'll never come back to America. So Abby is like fighting for this fourteen-year-old oh girl. So fucking cool. So cool. Back to a pilot to freedom. <laughs> exactly. So they get there, and I mean, Abby. While they're in England, Abigail Adams, even on her fucking small ass budget, which was small because her husband was a lawyer, which apparently was shit back then. <laughs> they. But she buys both the girls new clothes so they look really pretty going into France. So Sally gets this brand new dress to like go into France. So um obviously there's an ulterior motive. But she gets there and immediately TJ is like, Hey, smallpox is a big problem here. Sally, you're getting inoculated, which sounds good, but back in the day they would like put smallpox pus in a like porcupine quill and like Ugh. shove it in your arm and you would have to be like alone in a cabin shivering to death for 14 days it was terrible so she does that as a 14 year old girl right off the bat when she gets to france oh my god um but this is uh, some articles say this is an adventure any slave would dream of <laughs> that no slaves are dreaming of this bullshit like are you kidding me she got to france and yes it was cool she hadn't been anywhere but monticello since she was two yeah it's cool but it's not something a slave would dream of like what they dream of freedom i think i literally just dream of being paid to do 
anything. Like, or like not what, sell not their children. Owned. Like, like what? Come on. <laughs> Crazy. Well, this is what slave <laughs> dreams are made of. What? what I hated lunatic. it. I, I hate that phrase. Every time I saw it, I wanted to die. Especially because <laughs> from what I understand, this dream does not end in her being free. No, it ends in rape. Exactly. <laughs> so she is technically free in France and <laughs> TJ pays her $2, which pay gap because her brother's getting four. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so fuck that. Um, that was pointed out by the girls in Flotus. Um, <laughs> she was, though, given tutoring in the French language. She was trained in how to be a lady's maid. So she learned how to do hair, how to make fine linens, how to be a dressmaker of the highest order, while her brother's learning to be a French culinary chef. And TJ's obviously like, of course, I'm going to pay them for this so they can come home and be cool as shit. But also, like... The two Jefferson girls go off to convent schools and she actually gets to live as in a boarding house for a few months, like as a free woman under Madame Dupre, where she's learning to be a laundress. It's pretty cool. Like she gets her own space as a teenage girl in Paris, yeah, which is nice. Um, so like I said, the Jefferson girls are at convent school and she's acting as a ladies maid. And a lot of the girls at those convent schools would bring servants. So it's reasonable to think that Sally would be at school with them sometimes. Um, and actually a lot of these girls would write letters from friend to friend. And Sally's name is mentioned regularly as like part of the crew, like, oh, and Sally this and Sally that. Um, and Patsy turns 17 and has to go to social events. And usually at social events, you would bring a servant. So TJ is buying them both these big fancy dresses to go to social events. Okay. Um, so she's a huge part of their lives. I just never, yeah, I never imagined her living that type of life. That's so interesting. Only in France. Only in France. Okay. Yeah. So it's only in France. Her son, Madison, in the memoir that we'll talk about later that he dictated, he said, during that time, my mother became Mr. Jefferson's concubine. So this is the late 1780s. She's a slave living where slaves don't exist. She's growing into a very beautiful young woman that people start calling Dashing Sally. Um she is extremely light-skinned, which I don't mean to say that white people are more beautiful, but at that point in history, that was a qualification. Mm-hmm. And Jefferson is homesick. He's really sad about his wife, which this girl looks like because they're related. This is half-sister. Um, and she's been caring for his children, which starts to seem like a stand-in for a wife. And it's really gross. Um, He gets these feelings of missing life in Virginia with these subdued women. He starts talking about how he hates that the freedom in France makes the women very brash. It's like they're free, but they're too free. (laughs) Um, So a lot of people say love or rape. Obviously, this is rape at the beginning. She gets to France when she's 14. She is 16 and pregnant in France. It is non-consensual. She gets pregnant at 16 years old. Um, You know, this man, he was at the first Continental Congress. He wrote the Declaration of Independence. He's super hot and tall. Everybody's like, you're cool, you're cool, you're cool. And what does he think? You grab women by the pussy. We've seen this of presidents before. It's what he does. Um, Now, he could have been attracted to her. He could have perhaps had feelings for her. He'd known her forever. That's really gross, but he's known her since she was three. But he probably didn't look at her when she was three years old. Um, 
he perhaps even eventually loved her, but he owned her. And owning is not a choice match. And it is not a desirable state of affairs for any person to be owned. We say this of marriage all the time. If you're not allowed to get a divorce, then it is slavery. So Patsy's at this school in France for a long time. And she comes home to daddy and's like, I think I want to convert to Catholicism. And he's like, fuck no, let's go to America. So he up and rolls out of France because okay. his daughter wants to be a Catholic. <laughs> now, what a rebel. Sally's free in France, so she's allowed to choose to stay. Oh. And so is James. And the haters always reference this, and I need to counter that immediately. Sally is pregnant. She is 16 years old. She does not know French, and all of her siblings live in Monticello. And all of the children that she's been caring for. There They're is her so age. There is so much, like... She didn't choose to go home for Thomas Jefferson. Everybody no. says she must have loved him. No. no. What happened was she was a teenage girl, scared and pregnant. If she had stayed in France, she would have been alone, a single mother with a baby. Are you right. kidding me? Because it's not like she was a young man in France. No. Who could have really made, you know, quote unquote, made something of himself. Yeah. Like she's in a shit position either way, really. And... I think she probably made a fucking pros and cons list. And I don't think loving Thomas Jefferson was anywhere on Not at all. And James comes home too. Okay. James also comes home. But also his siblings are there. His little sister's pregnant by the man that owns her. He's probably like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. So they decide they're going to bargain with TJ. And they do. James says, I'm going to come home. But I'm going to stay with you long enough that I can teach another slave to to cook in this French cuisine and you're going to free me. And Sally comes home on the promise that any children she ever has with him get freed at age 21. (gasps) Thomas Jefferson agrees to both. Does he follow through on it? He does. Okay. And they get home. Okay. They come home. Um, Why did they trust him? I don't know. That's a hard question. Maybe he was kinder to them than we know. Still a slave owner. Yeah, but I don't know why they trusted him, but they did. They decided not to stay in France together because they were both there, but to come back to fucking trash ass, humid Virginia. (laughs) 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 That's the one thing I could pull. (laughs) It's so humid there. (laughs) For lovers. (laughs) Virginia's for lovers. Um, Yeah, other than that, it's kind of a vanilla state. Yeah. You got some Pocahontas. I don't know. You got some Jamestown. Yeah. Jamestown is nice. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Never been. I mean. I feel Wait. Like, no, I have. I feel like they have some rocks and some shit. Williamsburg. Uh, they do have lots. Scenic drives. Lots of trees. <laughs> Tell us about Virginia, listeners. <laughs> If you're there, let us know. We had somebody tell us all about Idaho. Oh, my gosh. The greatest <laughs> facts you, about Tess. Idaho. Thanks, Thank you. Tess. Top 10. <laughs> um, okay. So her, dun- her son did say um, she had some measure of control over her own life with mutual respect and understanding. So there is some sort of personal relationship happening. Soon after she got back to Virginia, she gave birth. And the baby dies. And there's no record of the baby in Jefferson's farm books. 
and we don't know the child's name or if it was a boy or a girl. Either way, she had just given up her freedom for a baby that does oh not exist, and she cannot go back. Later uh, on, a man named Thomas Woodson claims that he's um, the first child of TJ and Sally, uh, and that he was made to leave Monticello, uh, and that's after the rumors start circulating about them. Okay. Okay. So the U.S. Constitution's been adopted while TJ's in Europe, and he's called to be the first Secretary of State and is dividing his time between New York, where the capital is, and Virginia for lovers. Sally's life changed, too. She went back to the drudgery of slavery that like breaks your psyche down. She gets pregnant again, has a baby girl. The baby girl's name is Harriet and she dies at age two again. In 1796, Thomas runs for president and came in second. This is when the frenemy begins because Thomas and John were really close and then we're not close. So Thomas becomes vice president. Um, he disagrees, you know, strongly with John and the mudslinging starts. And when the mudslinging starts is when TJ starts to become a tabloid story. So he has been back from Paris for eight years and Thomas is away most of the time. But Sally gives birth to her first recorded son that lives. And she's a badass, so she names him Beverly instead of John or William. (laughs) (laughs) Which are the only names. Um and a pattern starts to emerge. She does have six children with Thomas Jefferson. Six living children. Uh, four living. Okay, six four living. Total. Six total. Okay. Six total, four living. But all of them happen, all of the conceptions happen in a time frame when TJ is at Monticello. So there's no question that he wasn't there when she was getting pregnant. Okay. Which people argued that it was other men for a very long time. Okay, kind of like a retcon of like oh she like oh, she's a, a, again she's painting slut, her right. as like a slut like she has sex with whoever whoever's there this guy that guy whatever she's got lots of babies but no every time he's there she's pregnant <laughs> um so she has a second unnamed baby that dies in inv- infancy she has another daughter that she names Harriet after the first and then in 1805 and 1808 she has two more sons Madison and Eston which Beverly Madison and Eston are the best names for boys ever very good boy and then Harriet's a girl so her duties were light after her return to Paris she watches the children she sews she has household chores she's pretty much a wife she's doing The wife jobs, the cushy jobs. Um, But she knew that this was her fate. And she knew that she was living for the freedom of her children at 21. She just in her head was like, I'm going to make it through. And I'm going to, she's giving up her life for her children. If she had thought that she made a mistake leaving France, we would never know. We would never Mm -hmm. know because we have nothing from her. So she lived in many locations near the top of Monticello, which TJ built for his wife, Martha. But her main residency was part of the main house, which you had to have an honored spot. She had a breezeway, so she didn't have to walk in the rain to get into the main house, which means she's important. And um, Monticello is currently excavating her room and making it a museum. Wow. Because they were like, you know, it is really fucked up that we, like, celebrate all this stuff and not her. Monticello, after the DNA results came, they were like, 
Okay. Well, because I'm sure it was something that nobody wanted to be a thing because mm-hmm. it is so much easier for Everybody. white historians yeah. to just ignore it and to just be like, no, founding fathers were perfect. Like, right. <laughs> it gets really, really good because I mean, all of the all of the founding fathers. Um, so for Hamilton, it was Eliza, but Martha Washington and Abigail and Thomas Jefferson and Madison, all of them burned all their personal letters. Really? So we don't have what they said personally because they were cultivating an image. Um, so we only have what's on the books. Wow. So it's like they're really worried about what's going on TikTok. <laughs> and they got rid of everything else. That is... I didn't know that. We don't have their personal files. And they openly say, like, we burnt this shit. We burnt the stuff we didn't want you to know. Because they knew that they would be famous forever. And it's mostly their wives doing it because they knew their husbands were going down in history. And they were like, this is how I want my husband to be remembered. It is crazy. (laughs) That's why we love them all so much. Wow. That's. They seem perfect. Okay. It, it hurts. Okay. So Patsy's 27 and watching over the plantation. Sally's 25 and has to listen to Patsy regardless, even though it's her niece. It's very, very, very weird. Um, Sally is an aunt and a concubine and a sister and like all these things. And he's the vice president and in Philadelphia most of the time. And mostly, I personally believe he loved this relationship because of control. He could devote his energy to his public career without normal husband duties, which is what I think boys want. So he could have his cake and eat it too. He did not um, have to remain faithful to her, but we have zero records of him occupying the fancy of any other woman at this time. Um, And he was like a hot, tall rich famous guy yeah and we just i mean it could have been because letters were burned but also like we just don't have records historians believe he was fascinated with her and they were together longer than most married couples it was like 30 years that he had kids with her so feelings did probably exist but obviously jefferson was a guy for a power trip and honestly it's probably what he wanted So then he runs for president against Adams again, and he enlists this guy named James Callender to research and slander Adams, his used-to-be best friend. (laughs) But under the Alien and Sedition Act, it was illegal for James Callender to talk bad about the president, which is obviously against the First Amendment that they just fucking wrote, but makes it illegal. And he does it, and he goes to prison for a little bit. Um, And it helps Jefferson become president. Like Adams is a four year president and out. So as soon as Jefferson becomes president, calendars let out of prison. And he's like, Oh, also I want to be the postmaster of Virginia and I want you to pay my $200 fine. And Jefferson's like, peace and just (laughs) ignores it. So then James calendar is like, Oh, 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 but guess what I know about you and Sally and posts the relationship in literally all the newspaper (laughs) Facebooks. So he said, it's well known that the man whom it delighted the people to honor keeps and for many years has kept as his concubine, one of his slaves. Her name is Sally named in 
the history books named. The newspapers pick up this story like it's fucking Monica Lewinsky. They love it. Um, And the problem is the story's not, oh, my God, a plantation owner fucked his slave because that's what everybody did. The story was he respects her. And that, for many years, he kept her. For many years, he loved her. And that's what people are really worried about. So, yikes. It's kind of like that whole thing of, like, I know <laughs> we talked about this. This is going to be a weird relation to the Belganis episode. <laughs> but that's how Ray Lamphere, like, proved his innocence. Was yeah. Because he was like, no, I was having sex with a black woman. And he goes, why would I say that if it wasn't true? Right. Because... One of these two things is going to destroy my reputation in the community because like that's also like how like serious of a thing this was of like, yeah. okay, yeah, it's one thing to like rape your slaves, but to like love your slaves. love your slave and be like in relationship. It's like upsetting to people back like, then. How could you do that? Yeah. Uh, it's really horrifying. So to Jefferson's credit, he never denied it. He never came out and said, no, I didn't have sex with her. But his camp did. Uh, his daughter, Patsy, was enlisted uh, as the oldest daughter to make this seem not true. He played it perfect. He played it by the rules. His daughter was like, oh, it was our cousin who fucked her. Like, whatever. And now she's got all these one sixteenth white babies that are literally white children um and it's absurd (laughs) the whole (laughs) whole thing is absurd so then he actually because in the midst of all this news wins and becomes the president um we don't know if sally ever saw the articles we don't know if she's literate we don't know if she ever reacted to them we don't know if thomas jefferson ever told her which is like so hard but now he's the president and a bachelor He is the first president that goes to the White House without a wife. He's the third one. So Martha Washington's throwing all these parties. Abigail Adams is like, ooh, I'm a politician too. And then he shows up with no one. He's alone. So she is really like the first lady. lady. She's the first lady. Um, And it's interesting because some people that do first lady things include Patsy, his daughter, because his daughter did had to... She had, she like stepped up. She covered up all of his drama. She would, she was married. She had like 11 kids or some shit. So she would show up at the white house sometimes and throw parties for him or like host dignitaries. Um, Sally was never, he didn't, (laughs) Jefferson didn't like to cross over his slaves from Monticello and the white house. So he had some (laughs) white house slaves and some Monticello slaves. So Sally never physically came to the white house that we know of. Okay. But he had two women doing the wife job he had the sexual partner and his daughter throwing the parties but this let's be clear sexual partner and child rearer right like raising his children his white and black children yep all of them um and his he she was his clothes maker because she had been trained in france on making fancy clothes she made thomas jefferson all the clothes you see him pictured in sally hemmings made oh my god like And so she is the first lady. That's the woman he's like currently having a monogamous, as far as we know, sexual relationship with. And his daughter's throwing parties. And his daughter knows that Sally is her aunt slash father's concubine. Like everybody knows. Everybody knows. 
And he just made the White House like a smoke cigar den where like men came to hang out. It was like bro, bro club, bro club, bro club. Can I ask you a question? Totally unrelated. Yes. Was the White House as we know it completed? Okay. So I'm sorry to get on this tangent. No, it's perfect. So the Adamses were the first people to live in the White House yeah. and they moved in halfway through. So Jefferson comes Dolly Madison, the next president's wife, is the one that decorates it. Okay. But then it gets burned down in the War of 1812. Like completely or like? The frame is still there. The frame is still there. So it it looks kind of like it did. Okay. It's big. It's drafty. There's an east wing. There's a west wing. Okay. There's like a lot of shit. But like he's living in it as a single man, having like single man political gatherings where they smoke cigars and talk about Jesus I mean, or whatever. I mean, isn't the same thing that happens today? I mean, yes. <laughs> It's, it's just a glorified cigar club. Yeah, I mean, Winston Churchill <laughs> did the same thing there in the 1900s. So. Winston Churchill. Yeah, he will like come and hang out. That's why. So there's a house. Uh, oh my God, let me. Okay, so there's a house across the street where dignitaries have to stay now because Winston Churchill would come and walk around completely naked and Eleanor ew. Roosevelt was like, nonsense. Get him out of this fucking house and made him live across the street. She had a house fucking built. To make sure that Winston Churchill would not walk around naked in the White House. I hate that. <laughs> what? Isn't that crazy? Why do men do that? I don't understand. I can't even walk around without shoes on. <laughs> I don't understand. Nobody wants to see your peen, Winston. I bought open-toed shoes for the first time in eight years this weekend, and they're for gardening. Did you burn them already? <laughs> you threw them in the fire? The person that currently lives in my house made a comment about it. And I was very, I was like, this is why I don't wear open-toed shoes. Oh my God. And really, he just said, are those sandals? (laughs) Are those new shoes? Shut up! (laughs) Okay, I'm so sorry about that sidebar. Let's get back to Sally's story. It was perfect. Okay. (laughs) All right. So Thomas is 65 years old when he has his last son, Esten, with Sally, obviously. No one else because he didn't love anyone else. Um, And when I mean love, own. Um, And his presidency was up the same year. So he retires to Monticello for good. His daughter, Patsy, moves in with her rancid-ass husband (laughs) and 11 children. Um, And... She helped him with the wife tasks and Sally's there. And apparently he loved being a grandfather, but never played nice to Sally's kids. So this is what Sally's son wrote. And I quote, he was not in the habit of showing partiality or fatherly affection to us children. We were the only children of his by a slave woman. He was affectionate towards his white grandchildren. He never acknowledged his parentage, but He did keep his promise to Sally that he made more than 30 years earlier. When Sally's two older children were of age, they were listed in Jefferson's farm book as runaways. There was no concerted effort to go after them, and he typically did go after escaped slaves. Beverly was about 24. He left, went to the north, entered society as a white man, and lived the rest of his life. Harriet was 21 and left at about the same time. She was even given $50 and was put out on her way. She also passed or presented as white and married and lived in the white society. 
Sally traded her life for her children and prepared them to live in white society. So we know that even though she may have not been literate, her children were knowledgeable enough to pass as white people. Four years after freeing Sally's two old, freeing, quote unquote, Sally's two oldest children and 50 years to the day after signing the Declaration of Independence, the drama drama queen, (laughs) TJ, passed away. Because he couldn't give anything to John Adams <laughs> while he was passing away. They had to do it together. Bro pact. In his will, he freed five of his 130 slaves. 130. And I mean, it was like 600 over a lifetime, but oh like 130 God. at the moment. Three were older men who had passed their prime, which I'm sure Thomas had probably known for decades and was like, these men can't work anymore. They deserve to be free. And two were the other Hemings children. Um, He also made arrangements to allow them to stay in Virginia because the typical law was if you freed a slave, they had to be out within a year or they could be enslaved again. Um, And Sally (laughs) in the will was not freed. Because that was not the promise. In Jefferson's will, he was probably avoiding scandal. Perhaps he was like, I don't own this woman. I love her, so I'm not going to free her. Um, Perhaps it was because this slave was technically his daughter's. And he was passing her on. So Sally actually stayed at Monticello with Patsy for two additional years after TJ's death. He told his daughter, apparently in hearsay, to free Sally after his death. Um, So after two years, Sally gave her, quote unquote, her time, which is your ability to walk away and I won't follow you. So... She, too, was given permission to live in Virginia, and she did. Her and her two sons, Madison and Esten, lived for the final years of her life in Charlottesville, Virginia, as free black people. She died nine years after Jefferson at age 62. It was 1835. There is no record of where she was buried. I will say, though, that that's how you know that it wasn't like, oh, yeah, like, technically I'm enslaved, but, like, it's yeah. fine. Because, like, when given the opportunity, she's like, yeah, I'm going to fucking leave. Yeah. Which, she left. as an older woman, is a risk. Like, I know she had two sons to go with, but, like, she, it was the place she'd lived her entire life. And she was still willing to leave. To get up and just walk away. to be free. To be gone. And I feel like that is the clue. That That it was not perfect and it was not a love story and it was not beautiful. So Esten started his post-slavery life presenting as black, but changed his last name to Jefferson, married a white woman and moved to Wisconsin at age 44. Madison is the only one of her children that kept his last name as Hemings and married a black woman. So he's the only one who presented as black for the rest of his life. Um, And he went to Ohio, and in the 1800s, Pike County Republican, the Ohio newspaper, was doing a series on ex-slaves, and Madison Hemings is the most famous ex-slave in America. So they asked him to dictate his story, and for the first time, he presented the true story of Sally Hemings. This is the memoir I've been quoting the entire time. Because after centuries of denial and cover-up, there is little known about Sally's life except for her son's 
words in the Ohio Republican in the 1800s. The Jefferson family denied it. The descendants denied it. They crafted this story that it was Peter Carr, the cousin, or Peter Carr's brother who impregnated Sally. The facts are widely debated. And the truth is nobody listened because the story was told by a slave. And that is the definition of racism. We said this isn't true because a black man said it. There is a haze and a controversy first for TJ and Sally, for sure in the news and the nephew and Thomas Woodson and all this stuff. But in the 1970s, some new historical fictions start to come out and they're alleging a relationship and it's the seventies and they're like, Oh, Whoa, what a cool fucking book. And all historians are like, yeah, but that's absolutely fictional. But then there's some historians are like, well, let's look into it. And they were like, um, we underestimated how much evidence that there is supporting the relationship between the two. In 1998, Annette Gordon-Reed writes this incredible book about it in the 90s, and people start to listen. She's a wonderful black historian who's like, let me tell this story. So in 1998, they start a DNA recovery. And they're like, okay, let's get male descendants from Sally Thomas, Peter Carr, Thomas Woodson, all these people who claim. Mm -hmm. And we're going to compare all of the Y chromosomes and components in the DNA. The odds of a perfect match in a random sample like this are less than one in a thousand. There is no match with Peter Carr or the other cousin at all with the Hemingses. There is no match between Thomas Woodson and the Hemings and the Jeffersons at all. But Thomas, you are the father. (gasps) The DNA between Sally Hemings' male descendants and Thomas Jefferson's male descendants are linked perfectly. Oh, my God. Sally's making front page news again, and Sally's descendants go, yeah, we know. Yeah. They weren't surprised. (laughs) They were like, we know. Yeah. So in January 2000, the final word was laid to rest when the Thomas Jefferson Memorial Foundation and Monticello stated that they believed without a doubt that Thomas and Sally had been sexual partners and that Thomas fathered her six children, including the four that lived to adulthood, Beverly, Harriet, Madison, and Eston. There have been many books, documentaries, and movies and plays sense some painted sally and thomas as a love story some painted it in the horrors of slavery but sally's just a symbol of the complication of racism in this country and the willingness of a mother to give up her own freedom to ensure the safety of her children Hmm. that's the story of sally hemmings wow can you believe all of that (sighs) katie there's the unfortunate thing is there are so many parts of it that I can believe. <laughs> like the fact that nobody believed them. <laughs> I'm so broken by it. I mean, there's so much to talk about. So we need to talk about these two women and a little segment we like to call just the two of us. Okay. Their beauty is undeniable. Their beauty is undeniable. Both these women are stunning gorgeous women which unfortunately is taken away from women with darker skin on a regular basis absolutely and i also i was thinking this near the end of your story about how we ascribe a lot of things to nefertiti that might not be true because we have to take a couple things into consideration when we talk about people in general you know we talk about race class and gender 
And I feel like Nefertiti was a woman of power in her time. So she gets accredited with a lot more things than we know that she even did. Right. You know, and mm. I feel like Sally Hemings was there being like, this is all fucking true. And people were like, mm, but is it, you know, because I feel like there is this underlying mistrust of the lower class. Yeah. And I feel like that is so blatant in her story of like, no, like anybody who wants like money and fame is like, you know, just probably lying. It's like, what? You're <laughs> you know? right. You're and it's right. like, I feel like that's, again, like we always try and take that lens of like, you know, race, class and gender because all three are present in both of these stories. And I think um, Nefertiti like and Sally are both quote unquote, the wife of a very powerful yeah. person. Mm-hmm. And in Nefertiti's case, she was able to like work that. And in Sally's case, we have no idea what their personal conversations were. Like as much as I know, at least when she was a teenager, that it was definitely non-consensual. I'm sure 30 years in, they had moments alone together that there were like man and woman conversations. I would hope. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You would absolutely hope that he's not just like calling her in for a bang and then telling her to leave. Now yeah. that's absolutely also possible. Yeah. But, and there's absolutely no evidence that Thomas Jefferson ever like trusted her with any like political things, but you yeah. would hope that somebody you have six children with at some point you like, sit down and talk to them about things or like, Hey, I've had a really fucking stressful day. Can you Mm. rub my feet or something? Like, like I know that sounds shitty, but it's the kind of thing that like, if you're the wife or concubine or slave or mistress of an important person, you're kind of privy to information you wouldn't otherwise be privy to. Right? No, exactly. And I think that one of the things I noticed in both of their stories is that even though they led very different lives, They both went from the background to the foreground. We talked about Nefertiti going physically in these carvings from the background to the foreground. And then we talk about Sally, like growing up as a child, Thomas Jefferson not noticing her. And then all of a sudden, like in Paris, it's like she's in front. She's the one, which is unfortunate as we'll find out it's bonkers abby adams come on keep her in london with you right but like there is this there is a shift in both of their stories when one is forced to become out in front i i don't think sally ever wanted that Mm-mm. I don't think she wanted that at all. Well, I think she wanted to protect her children, which is what Nefertiti oh did. Oh, my gosh. To Tutankhamen. Right? Living for their children. I mean, trying to change things for the better for their kids. I mean, we talk about that all the time. Is like so many women invest in the future for their kids because it is at the forefront of their mind. Mm-hmm. And people like Thomas Jefferson, as we were talking about, they're like, how can people like me can serve as much power as possible, which is not investing in the future. It's just not. It isn't. And it's not relatable either because these people in these couples, like Nefertiti was married at 14. Mm -hmm. Sally's in, you know, France at 14. This is your brain is not fully developed until you're 27. And I don't care whether it was 5,000 years ago or not. Your, our brains are the same. Yeah. So don't fucking tell me things were different. <laughs> things were exactly the same. They were teenage children. They Absolutely. They were baby, baby children. Yeah. Well, and the good thing is, like, Nefertiti had it, like, if 
<laughs> again, it's also contextual there, but like if they were both 14, then they had the opportunity to grow older together. Right. Sally Hemings was robbed of he that. He was she 30 years older. She didn't get to grow old with anyone. Right. She got to grow old alone with a much older man. And again, if history tells it, she's not even getting like full attention. He's coming mm. back, getting her pregnant and then leaving. leaving. She wasn't even allowed to go to the White House. And, like, here's the thing. Like, I always think about, like, okay, when, okay, so say, like, a slave has a baby and, like, the doting white slave owner father comes home. Who was there cuddling you in bed when you had fucking morning sickness? Who was there when you were, like, having these terrible cramps and this horrible pain or in labor holding your legs up while you're bearing a child? Fucking no one. So don't tell me he loved her. That's disgusting, and it pisses me off, and, like, it infuriates me that the smartest men in history are so stupid. I think that's what's infuriating because the words in the Declaration of Independence are beautiful. They're iconic. They're magical. But they weren't about everybody. And how can you be so smart and so dumb? Because selfishness and self-preservation. It's the exact thing we were just talking about. It is this not investing in the future. Because investing in an equal society actually means having an equal society. And they don't want an equal society. They I want me and my friends to stay rich forever and ever and ever. And if there's any evidence from the Daughters of the American Revolution, that tracks. Yeah. It does. The money. Like, we talk. Like, I feel like they're, for Sally's story... There is generational trauma. I mean, there is rape in her entire storyline. Her grandmother, her mother, herself, probably her children. She can track it. And I feel like with Thomas Jefferson's purely white children, there's generational wealth. With Nefertiti's line, you know, with the whole Pharaoh line, the whole Egyptian line, there is generational wealth. And Mm. I feel like, Akhenaten, like uh, Akhenaten or Akhenaten, yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever the fucking name is. Yeah, and I feel like that. I feel like he was pulling a founding fathers move when he was like, "Let's go to monotheism," because I think in his mind he was like, "This is going to preserve power and wealth for my future generations, right? Like we've never seen before." But really, when you are solely focused on again yourself, yeah, it doesn't breathe good things it doesn't actually breed wealth because that ruined egypt financially nearly just like slavery almost tore us a fucking part and still is it still is like it's horrifying and i mean it's even like when you, when you talked about moving the capital i didn't talk about this in the story but in jefferson's time between being the first secretary of state and vice president and then the president the capital was moved from new york to virginia And it was moved from New York to Virginia because of a deal that was made to get it closer to the people of the South. Fuck. So the the capital when George Washington was president was in New York. Because you know who's wealthier? People who don't have to pay for labor. Right. So it was moved down to Virginia. And it just seemed so like it resonated with me so much when you said that this power couple is going to move the capital. Because it was like, what we want to do is get it where we want it so we can finagle the country to look how we want it to look. Which, again, is 
for both situations, probably costing so much money, so much slave labor to do all this stuff. And for what end? Yeah. You know, Thomas Jefferson was in power for what? I mean, eight years. Eight years. Well, all of the years of the government. Yeah, all the years (laughs) of the government. But, you know, it's like, Again, for such a short period of time, you know, and Akhenaten and Nefertiti were in power for 17 years. Like, it all just seems so trivial trivial when you think about it. It's like someone's not even old enough to vote in the time that they were in power. And And they tried to, again, finagle it to just, yeah. In death is what frustrates me the most. Mm. Because in death, we don't know who Nefertiti is, if she died, if she didn't die, where she is. And, like... In terms of Thomas Jefferson, it feels so much the same. He went back to Monticello. He treated his white grandchildren like he was the greatest. He's retired. He's so much fun. And then, like, his other white actual children, who it's like it's so hard when you're biracial because how do you identify? I don't even understand. They obviously looked white, but they were treated as black. Yeah. They were they looked white enough that they presented for the rest of their lives as white people. Three out of the four of them got away with it, yeah. quote unquote. That's yeah, a horrible quote, way to yeah. say it. But it's just so frustrating that in death, Sally Hemings looks at this will and she's like, all of them are free but me. And now it's up to Patsy to free me, my yeah. niece slash the girl I cared for my entire life well that's the whole thing you learn so much about what happened to a person in death and i feel like that's why nefertiti's story is so complicated because it all becomes shrouded and mystery and controversy when it comes to death because people do weird things (laughs) when death is involved and i feel that with nefertiti i think she was taken out because nefertiti and Sally were political problems that had to be dealt with. Both of them. Oh, yeah. I don't think that the men surrounding Nefertiti wanted a female pharaoh. I think she made herself that position. Oh, yeah. And that was a political problem for them. And obviously, like, their whole reign was a political problem. But all of these things come to light in death. And I think that that's what Sally... It was like... I'm such a problem for you that you won't even free me in your will because it might look bad. And again, it's like the burning of the letters. It's like you are going to just torch people even after you're gone. And it's so scary. You're not even going to know your legacy. Like It's so scary because I do think they think they were doing a service. They were so close to monarch, the monarchy, the king. And they were so close to the French Revolution that they were like, if we don't do this, just right i honestly think they sat in rooms and were like if we don't do this just right it's fucked forever and those men wrote the longest lasting constitution of all time let's be very clear that the constitution they wrote is the one that we're using and it's the longest one ever however they were also dipshits which means (laughs) that normal dipshit people can do great things yeah so like do a fucking great thing which is why i want everybody to google annette gordon Reed, who is the woman, the wonderful black woman who wrote the book about Sally Hemings. She's won all these fucking awards and become an amazing scholar since then. She's a professor at all these universities. Go get her book and listen to all her speeches. She was on all the documentaries I watched because she was the one who came out and was like, hey, everybody, Sally Hemings. (laughs) 
I love it. She's great. Okay. Are you ready to toast? I'm so ready to toast. Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? I want to toast sacrificial moms. Mm. I just... So <laughs> a lot of moms like to get on the murder train. Like I just cooked dinner tonight. How I thought you said you? Murder, train. Oh, murder train. Murder train. Okay. I cook dinner. Who's cleaning up? And I do that shit all the time. <laughs> but it's also like, that's fun and playful. There are a lot of moms who gave up so much so their kids could survive. And it is, I mean, both these women did that tonight. And I think it is very selfless and beautiful and amazing. And I absolutely hope women don't have to do that forever (laughs) because I think that men and women should share an equal amount of love and respect for their own children. But sacrificial moms have existed throughout history and you're super super cool and like thank you so much Mm. all right cheers Cheers. what do you have you know what's so funny is i am going to toast this woman who lives 3200 years (laughs) or i guess 3100 years maybe i don't know how time works who cares Three thousand years before (laughs) sally i'm going to toast women who demand equality in relationships Perfect. I think that Nefertiti is such an early model for women advocating for themselves in relationships. Obviously, there's no way to know exactly what went on between them, but we know that she was in the background and she brought herself to the forefront of Egypt's political and public life. And I think that that is pretty fucking cool. Cheers. Nefertiti. Oh, my God. Are you ready to promo? I'm ready. Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I cannot with this podcast (laughs) that I started. So it's Flotus, the number four, Eva. And Katie, their banter might be as good as ours. (laughs) I have never heard a podcast where I'm like, oh, my God, they've known each other forever. But this podcast, I'm like, oh, they've known each other forever. It's not scripted. They're sitting in an apartment in New York. They clearly started it during COVID. It's very new. They're only up to like James K. Polk or some shit. Wow. But I realized I don't know anything between Dolly Madison and maybe Abe Lincoln. I don't I don't know anything about the first lady. So yeah. I'm so excited to get to that point in history where it's like, Ugh. who is this person? Who ills Wilma Fillmore? <laughs> Did I who say ills that she? right? Who, who, ills, who ills she? Who ills Wilma Fillmore? Um, they're very funny. Don't you dare. They're very ditzy. <laughs> they know nothing about history, which is very cute. <laughs> <laughs> they like ask these terrible questions where I shout in my car. We, I, it's great. It sounds wonderful. It's a perfect workout track. I mean, start at the beginning. You're so close, guys, that you could be in on something big. Because they're only, like, they just started very recently. Perfect. That means you can get in on the ground floor with Dude, I can't wait till they cover Frances Cleveland, because I want us to cover her. You mean the lesbian? (laughs) (laughs) Not a word! The it girl of the (laughs) Cleveland administration? (laughs) Um, yes, all of it. (laughs) Okay. Um, Tell me what you're promoing. I'm going to promo this little tool that I got recently. Rockefeller Center? No. Oh. That's no. (laughs) (laughs) So I have very dark hair. And I've 
been Correct. denying this to myself and everyone else but like it's black i get dark hair on like my face too and it yeah. drives me crazy and it's one of those things i hope nobody notices but i'm sure they do i've never noticed so i like got on your lip or your chin chin mainly. okay chin um and i got this little thing it's like a little lipstick size tube it's called the flawless trimmer and it's just like a little trimmer and like i just it takes literally less than than two seconds (gasps) love it and i just like go over like it's just like it's just like a couple little things on my face because i am not a good tweezer i'm not a good tweezer so then i just like rub it over my chin and then it's gone Mm. and it's great it is good and like you can do it like in between your eyes on your upper lip on your toes if you want to but it's so easy to shave those yeah i saw those well sometimes sometimes you cut your fucking toes and it hurts i did there was a meme that was like yes women have hair on their toes (laughs) i was like yeah can we talk about it? Um, so yeah, I got this little trimmer. I got it at Target. It looks like a lipstick tube and it's so easy to use and it's battery powered. So I'm sure that people think that I'm just like vibrating in the morning. I don't really know. No, who but cares? That's perfect. Who cares? It's perfect. And I love it. I um, honestly, it's part of my daily routine because I've been trying to take better care of my skin because it's been really, really hard. Um, for my whole life yeah but that's your thing and you're getting it i'm really trying so and i've been i got it and i was like maybe this because you know how like you get new things you're like maybe it'll work maybe it won't i really love this thing so yeah um do you want to make yourself feel better one time (laughs) now i don't want to tell this story oh my god tell me immediately (laughs) okay so one time i said something something um shaving the hair on my butt and producer was like you have hair on your butt and i was like Everybody fucking has hair Every on their butt. Every human has hair on their butt. What do you mean? Every human has hair everywhere. I hate that like <laughs> hair has been illegal for women to have. And it's totally not his fault because I'm always clean shaven. So like there's yeah. never been a question about that. So it's just <laughs> like, wait, women have hair on their butt? I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, where do you think it goes? <laughs> Isn't that funny? I like the idea that men are like, women have hair on their underarms <laughs> what i've never Excuse experienced this first person me. that's so embarrassing i'm probably cutting that <laughs> <laughs> no this is why i brought it up i almost didn't do it okay okay because okay. i was embarrassed you can you can cut the stuff about your butt i won't that's embarrassing <laughs> <I won't. laughs> <laughs> this is my Okay, Misty said... We're being so vulnerable right now. <laughs> Misty said she always listens to the end because she doesn't know what shit we're going to say. Hair on the butt. <laughs> oh, here we are. Button toes, button toes. Listen, you don't want to cut... You do not want to accidentally cut down there. That's... Very bad. But crack slices hurt. <laughs> but crack? Oh, my God. I thought you were just talking about the outer butt. Oh, my God. No way. <laughs> You think I got hair on my uh, on my cheeks? I thought it was the peach fuzz. <laughs> I have no peach fuzz on my cheeks. Only crack. <laughs> You're definitely cutting this. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks for listening. Follow us Woo! on all the things. Join us on Patreon if you want the uncut. <laughs> I mean, if. You- this what more can we say <laughs> um talk to you, you later <laughs> ali there's a thousand deer in your lawn Stop look at them it. wait they stopped moving oh God, there's a thousand why are they all ah, they're running! <laughs>
There's so many no, they deer. Just, they just jaunted a little. All right, bit. Snow jaunted. White. All right, get the deer out of here. <laughs> Do you want me to just when we're done recording, just run out into your field? Yeah, because yeah, I yeah. will. You can. If you want. I mean, they're here like every night. <laughs> <laughs> I like to live with deer. We didn't do the ending. Yeah, we did. No, oh, we no, didn't. We did. Okay. Hi. You can find us everywhere. We love you. We love you. And we want you to never forget that well-behaved woman. <laughs> oh, I didn't write something down. Yo, yes, I did. Uh, always remember to... Oh, wait. Shave their <laughs> butt crack. No. <laughs> <laughs> always remind you to bring an umbrella. That's true. I never have an umbrella with me, and it's and, always and a tragedy. And well-behaved women are always like, didn't you bring an umbrella? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, where do you keep it? Like, what? And they're like, in my butt crack. In my butt crack. <laughs> And they rarely make a story. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. I cannot believe how many deers are in your yard. <laughs>